My guest today is America's most distinguished art critic, Donald Cuspit. This is the White Hot Magazine Art World Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker. Hello, Donald. Yes, hi, here we are. Hi, Great. how are you? Okay. Uh, let's see, um, Dix. Yes. Um, so I, I wanted to um, ask you about your experiences writing books and writing for magazines. More so at the beginning of, of when you first started doing that. Okay, so we forget Dix for the moment. What's that? You asked about Otto Dix previously. Yes, I did ask about Otto Dix. I want to get to that, but I just wanted okay. to, to talk a little bit about your beginnings in writing from uh, books and writing for magazines. Okay. Was, well, it, uh, was it writing uh, books that sort of started first, or, or did it all kind of happen simultaneously? No, it was uh, writing books and academic articles. I was writing in philosophy as well as in art history. I was at that time very connected with phenomenology. I wrote for the Journal of Phenomenological Studies. Um, and I, let's see, when I began writing for art, I was teaching in my first art history position at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I was teaching um, uh, German artists, uh, German art in general. Um, I don't remember all the details, but uh, I decided I was very interested in sort of dealing with contemporary art. I'd always been oriented to, let's say, traditional art. Um, I was a trained art historian, um, really proud of, rather comprehensive uh, ex education in that at the University of Michigan. Uh, and uh, I decided to do it. So I'm not sure how, but I had connections to, I think, art in America. I'm not sure, but, uh, and, and uh, began contacting, they asked me, to, so what I would do, believe it or not, and to do it in those days, uh, every Friday I would fly up to New York. Um, there was Eastern Airlines shuttle at that time from Raleigh Durham, and uh, you could do it very easily. Uh, review exhibitions, meet artists, etc., go to galleries, and then come back. And I began writing, and that's when I decided to deal with contemporary art. Although I continued to write about German art, uh, particularly about. Uh, uh, well, contemporary German art, but also uh, traditional. And uh, also, uh, and you had the um, the Albrecht Durer's um, writings and study that you had done previously. That's correct. Uh, I think I was involved with the Albrecht Durer Society in Gesellschaft in Germany, and uh, I was very interested in Durer. I wrote a piece which got recognition about Durer's scientific side, I'd always been interested in science from my education in Stuyvesant, and that got a lot of recognition. Uh, Dura was quite brilliant uh, scientist. He designed forks, very impressive artist, did the first watercolors, uh, nature scenes, an amazing artist. And I, I still feel very connection to that. Uh, I'm a great admirer of the Danube School landscape. That whole Germanic tradition and basically Northern realism uh, has mm -hmm. always, always interested me. Mm -hmm. And then what year did you finish with Adorno? Uh, let's see. Uh, that was, got my doctorate in 1960 or 61. I was in Germany from 57 to 61. I lived there steadily. 
Then I came back to the United States. And then I went back. I was also a, a guest professor at the University of Saarbrücken. Uh, then uh, I gave lectures in various other places. I'm trying to think. Uh, but uh, that's it, uh, basically. I, I just maintained that, that connection steadily. And I had a lot of close friends in Germany. Um, I'm not sure what else to say. That's just sort of a steady, ongoing thing. Right. And uh, as I had mentioned, I was, uh, I was talking about how you had championed several German artists and you, you brought them to the New York or United U.S. art world from Germany because you're bilingual in German. Uh, bilingual in. Um, what were, um, what, who was the first artist that you, that you did that with? I'm trying to think. Uh, or, or what you can, uh, first number of artists that well, sort of champion. What I remember is uh, through these pieces I wrote for Art in America, I got to meet basically the whole scene. I still have, as we're talking, uh, memories of them. Uh, I wrote about uh, Berlin artists. I wrote about Munich artists. Yes, now as we're talking, something else comes to mind. Um, I got a call after my thesis, this two long pieces came out in Art in America. I got a call from what was then the White Museum at uh, the University of California, LA, I believe it was. I think it's now has a different name. But I remember the curator called me. Uh, yes, it's coming to the back to my mind now. A curator called me and she said, how would you like to do an exhibition of German artists uh, for us? And I said, well, that's great. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a little expensive and all that, so don't worry about the money. LA and uh, Berlin, I think, were sister cities at that time. Uh, and mm -hmm. she said, no problem. So I went to Germany, I went everywhere. I met the Mulheimer Sparhead group, as I'm recalling. My first place was in Berlin, tremendous, wonderful collectors I met who really were true aficionados, you know, they were not interested in selling them work or anything. And I met everybody. Uh, as Dokopul, I became close friends with Dokopul. I visited him at his place in Tenerife, uh, and I wrote about all these people. Uh, and I did this big exhibition uh, for uh, LA, and I did a little text for it, which I think quickly sold out. And the American artists hated the exhibition. I still remember when it opened up, I was there in LA, and I'm trying to think of his name. I have a visual image of him. Very famous American conceptualist, and he thought it was all horrible. He hated it. Hated it. Uh -huh. uh, uh, it was also attacked. Yes, there's another thing which I was going to brutal attack on it by Judd. He wrote a two piece, uh, two, I'm remembering now, two, two essay pieces. Only Judd can get away with this about why there are no masterpieces. He attacked Basilet. He attacked uh, Picasso's figuration. You know, if you know what Judd's about. And I wrote uh -huh. a response to that. It was very controversial. And the I also got to wrote about uh, Kia, I became friends with Kia, uh, Kuki, I knew the whole German, the Italian group of people as well. I wrote a fair amount about them. And the Americans, two things, the conceptualists hated it, and they also felt that the market was being drawn to it. I remember I worked, as we're talking, I have a moment, I worked very closely with Ileana Zonovan, who I admired greatly. I don't know who she was. Uh, she ran the Zonovan Gallery. She had been married to Castelli. Uh, and she and I got along very, very well, and I admire her tremendously. And uh, so uh, she showed some of these people. 
uh, early on, and I did various essays for the catalog. I had a very cordial relation with her. I liked her very much. Um, uh -huh. So there are a number of dealers who I really sort of got along. We were on the sort of same wavelength, okay? And she was a key figure uh, in, in that. As I know, I'm just uh -huh. thinking out loud now, you know? Yeah. So, so you had some interactions with Leo Castelli as well? Yes, I knew Leo Castelli. Uh, I, uh, quite different kind of person than Ileana Zonabin. They had been married at one time, uh, both Jewish refugees. Uh, Ileana's uh, father, I think, had been a banker in Hungary, uh, came here. They lost everything because of the Holocaust. They had this one house uh, up in the 70s. I think they still had it there. But she had 420, 420 uh, West Broadway, which was this big, wonderful building where all the galleries were, and I think it's condos or something of that sort. And um, anyway, uh, just he and she and I hit it off because of our same interest. Costelli was a very fine man, but he was very detached. He was very, I don't know how to explain it. He was very, he was very good, but very, very detached. She was very engaged. Uh huh. What it, did you talk to him about his program at all or visit his gallery? I'm sure you were. You oh, yes. I visited his gallery. I wrote about his artist. I don't recall talking about his program. Uh, Ileana and I had conversations, uh, regular conversations, more or less. I, I always would visit her and then I'd visit Castelli. Castelli was sort of remote. I was the only, he was sort of the, the perfect gentleman. You know what I'm saying? Sort of, he was a very, mm -hmm. very nice man, but not quite engaging in the same way that uh, Ileana and I. Uh, somehow about her, she was always sort of excited about it. Uh, she invited me to Italy and all this kind of stuff. Uh, we became very friendly. Mm -hmm. And so uh, on a different topic, earlier I was uh, asking you about Otto Dix yeah. because um, we, had, uh, we were having lunch and you had, had brought his name up. And then you, you said that you visited his studio. I thought that was an interesting story. Yes, uh, it's actually his home. It was very moving. Uh, this was in Germany when I was living there at that time for the one stretch from 57 to I believe it was 61. And uh, he had moved to uh, Lake Constance, Bodensee. Um, he had lost everything under the Nazis. Uh, he had been a professor at Berlin. Uh, he was a, a guy in the hard communist an old-style communist. He came from a working-class family. Um, he was sort of like the workers' party. Uh, he did some very moving portraits of his parents who were workers. Um, and anyway, uh, Lake Constance, Bodensee, which is right in the south of Germany, adjoining uh, Switzerland, uh, is where a lot of artists moved from Berlin. And uh, a close friend I had at the University of Frankfurt um, was... Uh, uh, Müller Ollinghausen, Bruno Müller Ollinghausen, who later on, uh, about my age, he became a very uh, famous uh, professor, psychiatrist, and expert in uh, uh, therapy through drugs and so forth. But his father was named Bertold Müller Ollinghausen, and Bertold uh, had been in Berlin at the time the Russians came in. He had a trauma, he had a breakdown, uh, etc. Anyway, he moved to the south of uh, Germany. Presbron, as I remember now, Presbron on Bodensee, and I would visit there. And he had an extraordinary art collection, contemporary art, uh, just amazing collection. It really floored me. He was a very good sculptor. He did two portrait busts of me, which I still have. 
I liked him very much. Uh, and anyway, uh, he uh, became sort of the dean of the artists who lived on Lake Constance. They were a fair number. And Otto Dix lived in this town, Hemenhofen am Bodensee, which was uh, more towards France. And Hemenhofen is a very interesting place. It's a small town, and it was close to the Swiss border. And Dix stayed there because if the Nazis came for him, which was possible, uh, they'd, they, I believe they destroyed something about 130 of his pieces. He did one piece, a uh, picture of Hitler uh, in the Seven Deadly Sins with Hitler, and that was destroyed by the Nazis. So he looked at Gatterwitz, but if the Nazis were going to come for him, and I believe they did come at one point, but they didn't do anything uh, with him. Uh, so he could then escape mm -hmm. to Switzerland, which was nearby. Uh, but anyway, I visited him in his place there in his home. He was a broken man. Uh, I was very touched by him. Uh, and mm -hmm. in his place were all the great masterpieces, all of the great altarpieces, the famous altarpieces, just extraordinary. He managed to get them out. And his wife was there. There was this wonderful portrait of her. Also, I still remember her. And uh, he had done this. Uh, he was, he was, oh, yeah, the Nazis did with him, with him what they did with, uh, with uh, Nolde, I believe it was. Uh, not allowed to paint but draw. So he was doing these drawings and they weren't so great, but we became sort of friends. Um, it's, it got rather personal uh, because he was desperate for money. I'm telling you very personal things now, but uh, mm -hmm. desperate for money. And uh, he was working for some place in Port Art, Washington, like you can draw this sort of collecting these things. And he wanted to know uh, if this was a good place. He got a, some bucks for it or something. And I said, yeah, of course. Uh, but we became friendly, and uh, he gave me this wonderful catalog, which I still have. Uh, I think I mentioned in the piece I wrote for you. Uh, it's a uh. rare item. It was the first exhibition he had uh, after the war, and it was in East Berlin. Uh, he was still connected there, and he was sort of hero of the Communist Party. But he was a broken man, uh, but I liked him as a person very, very much, and I think he's one mm. of the great artists of our time, uh, really, truly one mm. of the great artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of uh, writing for White Hot Magazine, your your new uh, article that is I'm about to publish is about uh, Frank Auerbach. Yes. Yes, I'm very interested in Auerbach. Apart from the art, um, I'm Jewish, okay? Uh, I don't know if you know it, but today is a Jewish commemoration of the Holocaust. Okay. okay. And uh, I... Uh, and was very taken by Auerbach's story as well as his work. I think it's just extraordinary paintings. Uh, the portraits are quite extraordinary, uh, quite special uh, in, in the whole history of modern portraiture. Uh, and uh, I connected it up with his early history, which I think cannot be denied, uh, very influential. He was very close to Lucien Freud. Uh, they find a group, and he was very involved with Bomberg, who was his mentor in Bomberg, was sort of a key figure in what was called the Whitechapel Jews, a group of Jewish artists in London in the Whitechapel area. And uh, Auerbach, I think, is a major, major uh, sort of portrait, portraitist, uh, apart from being Jewish enough, but his work is seriously informed by that whole experience and the whole experience of uh, World War II, where he basically became an orphan. And I'm sure he probably suffered from the bombing in London. But I was also struck by the contrast, and I think I mentioned this in my article, between the portraits uh, 
rather gruesome when you want to get down to it. And then the the environment that he, you know, these places, these sort of safe places where he lived. Um, but it reminded me of the area he lives. I know because I have an artist friend who lives there and I'm still in touch with. So the work was very moving and I just think it's, it's very great painting apart from that. But I don't think you can fully understand it without the psychological dimension. As you are aware, I'm very psychologically oriented and I don't think you can fully understand art without understanding some of the sort of psychodynamics mm -hmm. involved in it. Socio, psychosocial dynamics are always implicit. This is where Greenberg and I had a sort of difference. He said, it's true, he said, but you can't talk about it. You have to stay with the material medium. And he said, well, it did have an aura. He said, it did have unconscious and pre-conscious effects. He said that. So I said, well, why don't you spell it out? But he didn't want to spell it out. Anyway, that's it. My first book was about him, and I was pretty close to him the first time. And what did you and Clement Greenberg agree on? Uh, we were both, at that time, engaged in abstraction. I was very much for abstraction. I had stronger feelings about Kandinsky than he did. He sort of dismissed Kandinsky as on the way to Greenberg. We were both interested in uh, abstract expressionism very seriously, uh, but he would not touch Greenberg's mental illness. Uh, he acknowledged it, but would not deal with it in relation to his art, which I think was one of his failings. Um, but uh, we were both very engaged with that. And I saw more in Kandinsky. I was very interested in Kandinsky. Um, and uh, I wrote a fair amount at that time. I wrote this uh, Reconsidering the Spiritual and Art in Kandinsky. And I still am a great admirer of Kandinsky but I now say, let's get back to the object. You know, it's a non-objective. He, he looked at the uh, famous uh, a haystack by Monet and he said, oh, I don't need the haystack. It's just the color. Well, I say today you need the haystack also, you know? So anyway, that's, that's my sense. He was a very great artist and he's really the heir of symbolism. Scholars who've analyzed his writing pointed out it's all heavily based in symbolism and to me, the key movement of the 20th century is the symbol of modernism, the symbolism. That's where it all starts from, uh, and from romanticism. For me, it really begins also uh, with Goya's The Sleep of Reason Produces Monsters, uh, Return to the Irrational. Mm. That's where it all starts. I always like to say that's the first modern work, really, uh, of art. Not Manet, you know, just mm. in relation to the surface of Quebec. And I always would argue with Greenberg about it. He said, well, yes, you're right, there is this feeling and boldly as my sort of hero art, hero uh, model art critic and i've always admired him and greenberg say well yeah yeah you're right but it's the handling of the material medium and how you can transform it and so forth and so on um, anyway uh, that's it he got stuck fundamentally in my opinion mm -hmm. um and then um going back to your um your championing uh, German artists. Um, it was fascinating to me uh, your, uh, that you had a role in um, uh, introducing artists to uh, the, the United States art world from Germany. And uh, you were saying some, that it was, um, was that around the time, one of the times that you um, were involved with documentary? Yes, but it was also before that. Uh, I was, uh, I think I came to document a little later. I can't recall. It's all within that frame, a little later. I was known as a champion of German art, okay? As simple as that. Uh, and I could speak German. So I was, for the first two documenters, the only 
American there, travel there, it's a complicated process, which I'll, I'll explain some other time and, and how it worked. Uh, go back and forth to Passau and so forth. And it was a very important exhibition at that time because it was close to the border with the East. It was a showcase for Western art. Um, and uh, uh, what was I saying? I lost track. But anyway, uh, I just sort of documented came after all of this sort of happened at once. Hard to explain it, but I wrote for, mm-hmm. for the, uh, there was a whole surge of German art shown in, in New York. Uh, I wrote about it. Uh, Italian art. I also uh, I did a, a series of, of videos with uh, Holly Solomon's husband uh, interviewing some of these artists. I think I did. Uh, gotta have a name. Kuki Kia. I can't recall. Clemente. I did Clemente. I did others. There's a whole set of them I have somewhere. But I was very engaged with this, and I saw that something was happening. It was moving, clearly moving international. And since I have, let's say, serious reservations about conceptualism, which was taking over everything, I was for it. I was interested in the, the psychodynamics of their artists, their outlook. Their, they were very articulate about their ideas. And I uh, got to know them, that's all. And I, I just sort of liked them as people. Uh, as I'm thinking now, uh, this guy who did this fantastic wooden sculpture, we traveled from, I met him in Amsterdam, we traveled down to Dusseldorf. I just, it became very personal. You know, it became very personal. Uh, I, I, I think they were very important artists, and I, I still do think they're very important artists. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kiefer was part of that? Group. Yes, yes, Kiefer was there. Well, Kiefer was always sort of a standalone guy. So was Basilitz. Uh, they didn't exactly like each other either, but there were different groups. Uh, as I say, there was the Mulheimer group, there was this group in Berlin, uh, and I have a visual image of the artist. Now, he had a Terrific studio next to the Berlin Wall, as I recall, an old factory building. I have an image of him, and I, I liked him very much. There was a whole Berlin school who had been students of Schmidt Rotloff, who was one of the original German expressionists, as my mind recalling. Uh, uh, and so and it was it's all very social. You have to know also what is very important. This was after the war. Uh, this was uh, in the 50s. Uh, Germany became the Bundesrepublik 48, so these artists had been working sort of isolated in their own world, and suddenly they were discovered, people realized something was happening, and there was a general sense of rebellion on their part also against conceptualism. They knew about the American scene, but a great influence, I remember Basilev telling me there was an exhibition put out by the United States Information Center by... uh, showed abstract expressionism. And uh, they uh, were impressed by the size of Pollock's works. I remember Basilis selling that. Uh, and they tried to get, get that in there. Basilis began doing some of that work um, as, as we're, well, well, that's it, that's it. I'm not sure what else to say about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, then your, your uh, current or recent uh, curatorial uh, work and interest I, of what I gather over the last decade or so is kind of like a focus on figuration. Yes, that's quite correct. Also, I'm very interested in photography. As you well know, I think Lindstern is a major photographer. I think the series that she did over 20 years uh, of the skulls is a major contribution both to uh, photog- photography as a technical matter uh, and uh, to 
uh, imagery. There's nothing like it in the history of art. I did a old book on that. I don't know if you have it. I can send it to you. The, yes, so, I have the Lynn Stern yeah, she, book. I think yes. she, And then uh, we did a talk with Lynn right. Stern. I think she's a major photographer. I'm interested in photography. Um, but there's all kinds of things now. I'm quite open now. And uh, I just find all kinds of things. But figuration, I should have to say, is uh, what I'm interested in. Uh, and uh, wherever it is, uh, however it's handled. Uh, and I don't think there's sort of any privileged mode of art making anymore. Uh, so I'm interested in, in what is being said by the particular artist through whatever means he or she uses. Um, just, I find that it's sort of very interesting scene because there's no, what there was when Mr. Greenberg got in there, no dogmatism. At that time, you had to do it one way, one way. There was only one kind of art. That was it. And now it's wide open. So I see a lot of creative energy and I try to sort of relate to it and track it as well as I can. Right. And Lynn Stern was, uh, uh, you wrote a book about her, which, which yes. I have. And uh, she was also included in the Mortality yes. Exhibition that you curated, which was going to open in Washington, D.C., but then uh, got derailed. That's quite correct. It's very unfortunate. Uh, it was look. Everybody was looking forward to it. I had, as you, you have the catalog, artists from. I have the I'm sorry, and you were in there, and I love the piece that you have. I have the catalog, and my my paintings uh, were included in the exhibition. Right. Um, a number of other interesting artists, Trevor Guthrie. Um, who else was in that show that you can remember? Oh my God. Uh... I think, uh, what was Robert Zeller? Yes, maybe? Zeller was in there as well. Uh, let's see, Lynn Zeller, uh, uh, Michael, Michael Zansky, Michael Zansky was in it. Right. As That's well. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, God, we were literally, everything was set to go. I think even maybe the installation was, maybe the show was hung, even hung. Yes, it was just, it was sure. just about ready to be hung. Actually, the gallery was set up to be hung. Uh, the works, some of the works were on the way. Yes, there was this wonderful uh, Irish artist as well. Uh, I think his work is on the back of the catalog. Uh, I liked him very much. Uh, there were some Chinese art, then Asian artists, I think Korean. Uh, it was a very hard exhibition to put together. Uh, and, you know, it's just very, very unfortunate. I was very unhappy for the artist. Uh, everything was set to go. One of those things, and that's it. What is interesting? I don't think that I don't think we really understood the gravity of COVID and what was going to happen at that point either. So it was, and there was a lot of moving parts to that exhibition. Yes. But um, an interesting involvement and a great catalog yes. came out of it. Yes, that's one good thing that it happened. And uh, mm -hmm. I I I remember your work distinctly. I think it's quite extraordinary. You have an amazing range, also. I must say, but yeah, oh, really. thank you. Yeah, you were you were kind enough to write the catalog essay for a recent catalog that I. That well, I, I find did. your your oh, work my. very interesting. Your should I say autobiographical? Well, work? you know, you when I brought when when I brought my paintings up to you at first, you you didn't. It it took you a little while to kind of acclimate yourself and sort of right. get them. But I think once you once you started to appreciate them, it, you found uh, a lot of uh, ideas in the work that I hadn't anticipated. Yes, I admire very much what you're doing. I think the sort of autobiographical dimension is fascinating.
and I also learned a lot mm -hmm. from them. I learned to respect graffiti <laughs> more. Make a joke. <laughs> right, because I have some graffiti integrated mm -hmm. into my paintings. And uh, so, so uh, and then some of the other uh, articles that you've written for White Hot Magazine, uh, you did Louise yes. Bourgeois. Louise, yes. Louise was a friend. I knew Louise for a very long time. Uh, I did uh, uh, an exhibition, uh, went to Latin America about his psychological works uh, for a group of psychoanalysts that was set up. I've been affiliated with her foundation for a while. She was a friend. I don't know if you know about this uh, uh, interview I did with her. Did I ever tell you about that? You know the book? All right. Uh, no. What happened was uh, a number of years ago, uh, let's see who it was. What was the yeah, Viking Press uh, wanted to do a series of uh, books uh, sort of for students. Uh, they would contain uh, works. Uh, these were sort of artists who were, quote, emerging, although some have been around. Uh, and uh, they would do images of the work an interview with the artist, and uh, then uh, a essay. Uh, so they asked me uh, to do two. Uh, I did Louise Bourgeois, and uh, I did Eric Fischel. This was at the time Eric was there known, uh, but Louise had been sort of known. And uh, that essay, uh, that interview I did with her, it's been regarded as the best interview because I got her talking. And uh, it actually came out in German about two years ago. And I've been connected with our foundation for, for quite some time. Um, but I can tell you the story of that. Uh, it, was, it was very interesting. Uh, I don't know if I should do it sure. here. What yes, hello? It? Yeah, if you would like. You All right, well, here it is, okay. Louise uh, was mentally disturbed, okay? You know about this. She had been in psychoanalysis. She had attempted suicide um, when her father died, her mother died, uh, very disturbed woman. She'd been in psychoanalysis with a rather prominent analyst at the New York Psychoanalytic who'd come originally from Berlin. So, uh, and it's known, she has this, you can get a t-shirt, I think it's in some museum, which says, uh, art is a guarantee of sanity. That was the, the article. But anyway, so uh, I came to her house. She had a place, uh, a brownstone on, uh, let's see, it's, 20th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. Came into her place, um, and I had a little tape recorder with me, uh, and there she is, and uh, she's uh, sitting at this table. Um, she had this lower area was sort of plain, very simple, sort of like French peasant, she's French. Uh, and uh, on this table is a big old computer, a big old uh, tape recorder, excuse me, like with, with discs and all of that. Uh, and so I say to her, I say, Louise, what's that, what's that doing here? I said, I have a nice modern tape recorder. And anyway, it's all going to be transcribed. I'll edit it. And, uh, you know, you'll have to agree what's in there and so forth and so on. And uh, she said, well, I want to make sure that you're saying exactly what I am saying. Said, okay, fine. So I say, um, all right, uh, let's get started. So I say, uh, I click on my little tape recorder and uh, she looks at me and I said, yeah, what's going on? She says, you're not Donald Cuspin. And since I've, <laughs> I've had psychoanalytic training, I've been through analysis after four years and I, I'm used to dealing with, shall we say, centric people. So I say to her, well, who am I, Louise? 
says, you're Alfred Barr. And I said, oh, I said, that's a great honor. You know who Barr is, he's in my life. And I, mm-hmm. said, I said, and I said to her, why yeah. am I Alfred Barr? I said, well, I work for Alfred, which she did work uh, for Alfred. And I was one of his girls. And uh, every Friday, he'd take us all out uh, for a Chinese uh, meal and Chinese lunch, and we'd all spill the dirt, and you want me to spill the dirt about people or whatever. I said, Listen, Louise, not about spilling dirt. This is about your art. I'm not interested in, in any of that, you know? So she said, all right, so so let's get going. So I start talking. First, ask her about the background, get relaxed. And then at a certain point, she picks up her one of the discs in her tape recorder, and boom, the whole thing spills. All the tape spills, and she gets upset. And it was moving one thing. So I don't say anything. I said, don't worry. I assure you that you will you know, see a proper transcript to all this. So then we go along. She says, um, would you like some lunch? And I said, sure, if you want lunch, fine. You can go without lunch, whatever. You go on, whatever you want. Did I bring you some lunch. So she goes into a little kitchen, comes out with a piece of toast on a piece of bread and a, on a plate and a cup of coffee, and she brings them and drops them on the floor. Gets excited. I said, I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> the truth was quite So he says, I said, look, you want to, I'll clean it up. You want her to let it alone. So let's forget it. I said, okay, so let's go on. Okay, so we go on. I come back a few times. I make all the transcripts. Uh, and uh, then I thank her and all that. And then I go and uh, I have them all transcribed. Uh, I edit the whole thing, and then I forget about it, and I go on, and so forth. I get a call from Viking, editor of Viking. He says, Ralph says, you know, where is this? We are ready to go to press and this. He said, oh, sorry, I haven't heard. So I'll, I'll call her up. Uh, and uh, I call her up, and I say, uh, oh, yeah, right. Uh, oh, no, before, before that, let me do something. So I trans- I tra- before this call, I transcribed the whole thing, okay? And it's all ready to go. And I, I call her up and I say to her, uh, Louise, I have the manuscript all transcribed. You can edit it. I've edited it. Try to get it in shape and all that. Says, I said, I'll bring it to you. Says, no, throw it over the fence. She has a little fence in front of this house. They have basement. Said, you throw it over the fence. Something will happen to it. It'll get rained. Put it in a plastic bag. Throw it over the fence. I don't want to see you. Throw it over the fence. I said, pack my tear it apart. Throw it over the fence. I said, okay. So I throw it over the fence. Okay, let it go. Then I forget it. Right. Or I go about my business and time passes. And then I get a call from the editor of Viking. He says, you know, where's the manuscript? Yeah, we're ready to go, etc." So I call her up and I get Jerry. He's an assistant I've known, worked with, great guy. Jerry is the model for her sculpture, Hysteria, very famous sculpture. And I could see from Jerry's, I could hear from Jerry's voice that something was wrong. So... So he says, mm. he says, let's have lunch. She wants to have lunch with you. Okay, we'll all have lunch. I said, okay, let's have lunch. And she liked this place on the corner of 9th Avenue, sort of a joint in the corner of 9th Avenue and 21st Street. So we go there, and I remember distinctly, she's sitting opposite me. Jerry is next to her. And his eyes are rolling. And uh, I just sit there calmly. And uh, I say, well, what's going on? And she says to me, it's all off, Donald. It's all off. And I see, I can't believe this. I say, I say, I realize I, I know her psyche already. So I say, well, I say, you know, Louise, there's a cover that was done 
by uh, Avedon did the color cover for all of these photographs of the artists. It's a very famous photograph of her holding one of her phallic pieces and smiling. And I said, you know, it's not going to like this. Avedon did. In fact, the, the whole series was under the sponsorship of Avedon's daughter, Elizabeth Avedon. So I said, not only that, you're under contract. You signed a contract with Viking. You're not going to like this. You can't just walk out of a contract like this. So she looks at me and she says, all right. But I was a very bad mother, which she was. I can tell you stories about that. And I want all references to that out there. I said, I'm not sure the many. And then I want references. I want to thank X, Y, Z people. I said, fine. I pull out, I have it in manuscript in my pocket, and I pull it out and make the edit. And that was the end of it. So a very, very, very eccentric mm. woman, very disturbed woman. Um, she, I, I had access to all her files. Uh, I wrote about her analysts as well. That was for this exhibition down in, I think, in, was it Buenos Aires or Rio? It went through Latin America. There's a whole group of Kleinian analysts in, in Latin America, and they were interested in her. But anyway, I liked her very much, and I wrote a poem also to her, which is available in one of my books, and she liked it. It was about climbing and everything. But um, she's a great artist. She's a great artist, and uh, she was married to Goldwater, uh, who was one of the great art historians, wrote about primitivism, but symbolism. Everybody said she was a primitivist. She said, no, no, she says she's a symbolist, which I think that's true, but that's something else. So that's my Louise Bourgeois story. I can tell you other stories, but that's it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That's great. And um, another uh, another piece that you wrote, I'm going to go through a few White Hot Magazine pieces. Sure. Another piece that you wrote uh, for White Hot Magazine was on um, uh, what's a good one that we can talk about? I, oh, there was one you did on Andrew Wyeth, which I thought was interesting. Nostalgia for yes. the great tradition. I am very sympathetic to Wyeth. He was brutally attacked when there was hoping, I believe, put on this exhibition at the uh, Met. Uh, and uh, I think he's a very important artist. And uh, I was invited years later, there was, I think, in Washington, an exhibition of the Helder works. And I did that exhibition. I curated it and wrote the catalog. And the Helder works were purchased by some Japanese collector, if I recall correctly. And I forget exactly where in Washington the exhibition was, but I think the Helder works are very special. And I'm open-minded. I mean, you know, called tradition. You know, Greenberg says you can't do figuration, but I was interested in figuration. And uh, very interesting, you know, whatever you think about Wyeth, it's not exactly so sentimental. The famous uh, piece of the woman crawling there is the most famous American painting, you know, most famous American painting. And you have to acknowledge that. Christina's world. Christina's yeah. world. And I think Wyeth was a brilliant draftsman. What was particularly interested in Wyeth is his connection with German art. He acknowledged a serious debt to Dura, and so that was irresistible to me. He knew the German quote realists, the northern realists, and I was very moved by by these pieces. And you have to give him his due. You can't just sort of dismiss it because there's some automatic thing saying you can't do figuration, you know. And I, I said to Greenberg, "This is ridiculous. You know, you can do figuration." This recently came up. There was an exhibition. Who was a, a prominent figurative artist who knew who knew Greenberg. Uh, and Greenberg said you can't do figuration. It was in an exhibition place down in New York. I forget the name now of the country. But anyway, um, uh, mm -hmm. that's it. So yes, I, I think 
he did some really, the Helga pieces are marvelous. And I think he's an important artist. Whether he fits in the modernist category or not, who cares? Mm -hmm. And then uh, more recently for White Hot Magazine, uh, you did a review called Idiosyncratic yes. Nature uh, on Inka Essenheim and Patrice Charbonneau's yes. exhibition at, uh, well, yeah, yes. Miles McHenry. I'm also very interested in landscape art. I've written a fair about it in the past, partly because of my interest in Danube School landscape, which I wrote about years ago. Uh, and I feel that's a very, very important tradition. And I'm just interested in that. And I thought that work was both, both of those artists were first rate landscape artists. And I was particularly taken by Essenheim's uh, allusion to traditional art, to traditional mythology. I thought that was quite wonderful because I think there is something called, if you have to use this term, it's been used neo-traditionalism coming back, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, there is a revived interest in both traditional imagery, traditional mythology. Um, I don't know how else to explain it, but artists are looking both back for whatever reason they're looking, partly because modernism has been assimilated. There's no sort of party line that you have to follow in art now. It's what you do with your creativity and where you go with it. Uh, and I thought those are two fine exhibitions, um, both of them very, very interesting, definitely. I was very happy to see them in New York. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, it's great catching up with you today, Donald, and thank you for taking the time to speak with me on the podcast. Um, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. And uh, keep an eye out for Donald Cuspit's article on Frank Auerbach, um, publishing shortly thank in you, White Noah. Magazine. Thank you, You're my friend. Okay, same here. Have a great Bye. afternoon, Donald. You're listening to Art World, the White Hot Magazine podcast with your host, Noah Becker. Visit us on the web at www.whitehotmagazine.com. Visit us on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for tuning in.